Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. If I haven't met you already, and together with Steve, we lead Vineyard 61 Church, and we get the privilege of going around all three sites. So big hello to you at Battersea and Westside. Actually, you'll go in Ballam. Just turn around, wave at the cameras, say hello, guys. We're all, we're all in this together. Um, anyone in Battersea and Westside in particular love a love story? Anyone here in Ballam love a love story? Great. Everyone loves a love story, right? Well, there's a little book situated in the uh, beginning of the Old Testament, and it's called the Book of Ruth. And it's the love story of all love stories. Hollywood has nothing on this. And uh, it has all the elements of a love story. It's got tragedy, it's got despair, it's got hope, it's got triumph, it's got romance, all wrapped into one. But every single detail of this story comes together almost as if the author has designed it all for a purpose. Almost as if the author is pointing to an even bigger story. And what I want you to see this morning is how the story of Ruth ultimately points us to the story of Jesus and points us to our own stories represented across all the sites this morning. So I want to pray for us that God would help us to see and feel and know his love for us in a new and a fresh way this morning. Even if you're here and you're not a Christian, I pray that today might be the first time when your heart is open to the love of God for you today. Regardless of whether you're hurting or happy, whether you feel lonely, whether you feel loved, whether you feel like things are going to plan or they're really not, that God's love would meet you right where you are. And so, Father, we just pause this morning. We just thank you that you love every single one of us. And we pray that we would maybe even get to know your love in a completely new way this morning. Amen. Okay, let me give you a little recap of the last couple of weeks. Naomi's husband had died and so had both her sons, one of whom was married to Ruth. And so Naomi and Ruth had lost their husbands and neither of them had children, no one to carry on their line which was an absolute disaster in this patriarchal society. They'd returned back to Israel, which was Naomi's native land, but it was a foreign land to Ruth. And not just no family, but they had no food and no one to provide for them. But God had set it up amongst the Israelites in that day, where for a situation like this, someone who was a close relative, and you're going to hear the word guardian redeemer or kinsman redeemer, which simply means a near relative could redeem somebody in Naomi and in Ruth's position. And that word redeem, I want you to remember this. This means to purchase and restore. Say to your neighbor, to purchase and restore. <laughs> to restore them, to provide for them, to take care of them, which would obviously involve a price. And so the picture is that Ruth goes to Boaz and asks him to redeem her. Quick shout out to little Boaz at Battersea, Chris and Jesse's little son. Hi, Boaz. Um, 
I think we've also got three Ruths across the site. We've got one Ruth at, ba- at West Side. Hello to Jill's daughter Ruth at West Side, and two Ruths at Ballum. So, um, and of course, a shout out to my mum Ruth as well, who's watching online at some point. Hi, mum. But I don't think we've got any Naomi's that I'm aware of. So, if you are a Naomi, please come and say hello. Um, But back to the story. The only problem was that Ruth was not the most likely of candidates for redemption. Ruth was a Moabite, and Moabites and Israelites had a history. It all started when an Israelite man, Lot, who was Abraham's nephew, had an incestuous relationship with his daughter, and they had a son called Moab. That's where the Moabites started from, and it didn't get much better after that. They were really into immorality and idolatry, and they indulged in human sacrifices. And there was one point when Moabite women seduced Israelite men into immorality and idolatry. And as a result, 24,000 Israelite men died. So like when that happens, Israelites just wouldn't go near Moabite women ever again. And so here's Ruth. She's a Moabite woman. And Holly mentioned a couple of weeks ago, she, was, she would have likely had a t- tattoo on her face somewhere signaling that she was a Moabite. So it wasn't something that she could hide. And she was now living in the, the land of the Israelites, an immigrant, a widow, and her future was not looking particularly hopeful. Ruth was guaranteed nothing, not just because she was a Moabite, but because she had no family, no heir, no source of provision. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, was in exactly the same position as well. If they didn't have someone come and redeem them, they would be left without any family and left to starve. So let's progress into chapter three. Um, There should be slides coming up. If you um, have a Bible, turn to Ruth chapter three. We're going to kind of go through it in segments. So um, we're going to be dipping in and out of it. So Ruth chapter three, verse one. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law Naomi said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whom we... Can't read this morning. Now, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. This is what would have been done with barley at the end of, a, of, of the harvest season. Winnowing barley was typically done on threshing floors, which were usually some sort of rock outcrops on hilltops. Um, these threshing floors weren't in the fortified cities, but usually out in the open. And it was at the threshing floors that the grains would be separated from the chaff. Part of the process used a, you would use a fork to like toss the barley up into the air and then the winds would blow on these open hilltops and then the, the grain and the chaff would be separated. And the fact that these threshing floors were outside the city also meant that the men who did this work were required to stay with the grain until it was collected and brought into the city. Um, if, if it had been left out in the open, they would have been stolen potentially by thieves or eaten by animals. And so the men who did this work would usually spend their time outside of the city sleeping on the threshing floors. And it was often a time when prostitutes used to come to the threshing floor to offer sexual acts. And given that the events of this story took place when everyone was doing what was right in his own eyes, it's probably safe to assume that these sort of things were taking place at the time. Okay, let's read on. Verses 3 and 4. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you were there until he has finished eating and drinking. 
When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Naomi's instructions to Ruth are often misunderstood. Many people have believed that Naomi was telling Ruth to get cleaned up, to put on some good perfume, to put on a seductive outfit so she could go to the threshing floor and seduce this noble man into a sexual encounter where she can manipulate him into marriage. That was not what Naomi was instructing Ruth to do. Ruth was a widow, and she would have been recognized as such by the garments that she wore. And these garments would have also communicated that she was mourning the loss of her deceased husband. And so what Naomi was communicating to Ruth was that it was time to move on. She needed to put this season of mourning behind her and prepare herself for the next season of life and communicate to the one who might be able to redeem her that she had finished mourning her deceased husband and that she was ready to be pursued. Okay, let's keep going. Verse 7. Are you still with me? Still with me, Battersea? Still with me, Westside? Um, When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that with which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So Ruth had lain on the ground next to his feet and she'd made a special request. She'd asked Boaz to do more than just spread the garment back over his own feet again. She asked him to spread it out so that it would cover his feet and it would cover hers as well. And what Ruth was doing here was asking Boaz to take responsibility for her by marrying her and redeeming her. Now, it was a risky move. Naomi and Ruth couldn't be 100% sure that Boaz would respond to this proposal. You know, would he respond to this proposal as a, as a sexual advancement and try to have sex with her? Would he misunderstand the proposal as a sexual advancement and turn her away? Or would he understand the proposal for what it is and carry out his duty? And the outcome that Naomi and Ruth were hoping for was, seemed to be the least likely, given the context. But God was working. And Boaz understood the proposal as it was intended to be understood and responded positively. Phew. Boaz did reveal one significant setback to Ruth in these verses, though. Boaz revealed to Ruth that he, while he was a redeemer, there was another relative who was a closer relative and a redeemer. And according to Israelite law, this closer relative should be given the first opportunity to redeem Naomi's land and to take Ruth as a wife. 
And so Boaz instructed Ruth to remain near him for the night. It was too dangerous to send her back into the city in the middle of the night on her own. There are only 85 verses in the book of Ruth. It's such a small little book, and yet the word redeemer is used 23 times. This is the major theme. Remember I mentioned earlier, just turn to your neighbor, what was the word redeemer mean? The essence of redeeming, to purchase and restore. So in order for somebody to be able to redeem another, there were certain qualifications that had to be met. Not just any person could redeem another person's family. Three qualifications. I'm going to be um, going through these three. Three qualifications that Boaz had to meet in order to be able to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Firstly, he had to have the right to redeem her. The law said you had to be a near, near relative. And the closer relative you were to the deceased husband, the greater the right you had to redeem. So first, you must have the right to redeem. Secondly, he must have the resources to redeem her. There was a redemption price to purchase this, pers- this, this family's property and then to provide ongoingly for this family as well. There was a cost involved. So he had to have the resources to provide for her in that way. So he must have the right to redeem. Secondly, he must have the resources to redeem. And thirdly, he must have the resolve to redeem her. Basically, he had to want to. Okay, this is the final part. Verses 14 onwards. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said to her, he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law and Amy and asked, how did it go, my daughter? She told She told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens for this man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is just more than Ruth could have hoped for, more than she was asking for. She's sent back to Naomi with arms just full of grain, but also with the promise that even if Boaz wasn't able to, somebody would redeem her. It's such a turnaround. In in case you'd um, noticed how tired I look this week, um, shout out to Steve at Westside. Be be kind to him at Westside this morning. Steve and I have just adopted a puppy. He's He's a rescue dog from Ireland, and at the risk of taking this metaphor too far... It's like we've redeemed him. (laughs) We've purchased and restored him. We had to have the right to redeem him. We had to have all sorts of home checks. We had to get a vet's reference. had to have a call with them. We had to prove that we were worthy adopters. Secondly, we had to have the resources to redeem him. We had to pay the rescue centre. had to pay the van driver 150 quid to pick him up from this random place in the middle of the m25 (laughs) as well as committing to paying for his upkeep and thirdly we had to have the resolve to redeem him we really wanted another dog after charlie died last year and we saw a couple of photos and videos and thought we really want him 
not really knowing his past or what to expect. And we've already fallen for him. Despite him being an absolute stinky mess when we picked him up. Who wants to see a photo of little Bobby? There, here comes the photo. <laughs> Look at that face. Look at that face. The story of Ruth <laughs> is written on the pages of human history, ultimately to point us to the reality and the story of Jesus. I want you to listen to this language that the New Testament uses to describe Jesus in Ephesians 1, verses 7 and 8. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Did you notice that that word again, redemption? It's a word that we band around in church, isn't it? We are redeemed. What does it mean? Jesus is our redeemer. What does that mean for us? As I said earlier, to purchase and restore. This love story just jumped to a cosmic scale. It's no longer just a story of redemption with a woman in a field and a landowner. It's a world filled with people whose past is sketchy, a world filled with you and me and everyone else in all of history. All of us stained with sin. And not only stained with sin, but suffering under the effects of sin. Every single one of us is familiar in some way with pain and hurt and regret and loneliness and fractured relationships. All the effects of sin that surround us. An entire world separated from God and experiencing the reality of the separation on a daily basis. Not only a world where everyone's past is sketchy and a bit stinky, but where we have a future that's uncertain. How can a world in sin be reconciled to a God who is holy? And that's the question, isn't it? That's the question that we have to wrestle with. It's the most important question in all of history. How can sinful men and women be reconciled and restored to a holy God? It's a question that every single major religion attempts to answer. And this is where we see most clearly that Jesus Christ is set apart from every major religion and ever, every major world le- uh, religious leader. If you, if you think about it with me, Jesus alone, he alone, has the right to redeem us. You remember in order to redeem, you had to be a near kinsman. You had to be close and familiar as a relative to that person. But it, it makes sense in order to restore this person to this person, someone, the restorer, must be familiar with both people. In order to restore sinful men and women to a holy God, someone must be familiar with both. And this is where we see the uniqueness of Jesus. Jesus is our redeemer. He is divine over us. He is God and he is God in the flesh. He is divine over us and he's human like us. He is God and man. This is the reality of who Jesus is and the the beauty of what Jesus has done in order to redeem us. God has come to us. He's not far off from us and disconnected from our lives and all that we experience. He knows what it's like to be human. He's familiar with us. 
No one else can make that claim. Jesus alone has the right to redeem us. Secondly, Jesus has the resources to redeem us. In two ways. He's got power over sin. He's like us in every way, the Bible says, except one. He's without sin. It makes sense, yet again, that in order to save us from our sins, one must have no sin. No other person has come close to proving that claim. You look at major religious leaders, whether it's Muhammad or Gandhi or even Mother Teresa, and they all admitted they were sinners. Jesus stands apart as the sinless one. But that's not all. He not only has power over sin, what is the payment over sin? Death. And so the one who has power over sin must also, by necessity, be able to pay the payment of sin and conquer death. And this is where we realize that Jesus not only has the power of a sin, but he has the authority over death. Who else in all of history can have their lungs stop breathing, their heart stop beating for days, only to come back to life and still be living? Every, major, every other major religious leader in the past or the present has died or will die, and no one has come back to life. There is only one in the pages of human history who is alive, and his name is Jesus. He alone has the resources to redeem us. So he has the right to redeem us. He has the resources to redeem us. And thirdly, Jesus has the resolve to redeem us. And this is where it gets really personal. He seeks us as his own. Feel the wonder of this. You and I are Ruth. We're in the field with nothing in us to draw him to us, stained with sin, our past unclean. And, and just think about it. The God of the universe steps off his throne in glory and he comes to you and to me. He seeks after you. He doesn't say, find your way to me. He seeks us as his own. He saves us by his mercy. When, when we picked up Bobby this week, he was so stinky. He'd basically been sitting alone in his urine in a crate in a van. And we had to take him and wrap him in a towel, get stinky ourselves, and bring him home and bathe him and reassure him that he was now safe. That's what Jesus offers us. He takes us all stinky and lonely, and he longs to bring us home. He takes our sin upon himself, and we need someone who can take the payment of our sin in our place. And that's exactly what Jesus has done on the cross. The sinless one has stood in the place that you and I deserve to stand and taken the judgment that you and I deserve to receive. He saves us by his mercy, and he says, you are protected in my field. He, might he, he wants to serve us at his table so that we sinners, having rebelled against the authority of God, would be invited to feast with him. And not just to sit there, but to be served by him. It's incredible, isn't it? The God of the universe has invited you and me to his table to feast with him. Everything that this world has to offer cannot even begin to compare with this. To settle for anything less is ridiculous. 
Jesus is a good redeemer. He's the only redeemer for us. He's our only hope. And this is where the story of Jesus intersects with the story of everyone at Westside, everyone at Battersea, everyone online, everyone in this room. This is the ultimate love story. Romans 3 says this in verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are all are justified, which is re- reconciled or restored, freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. Love is not realized until it's received. Can you imagine Boaz stepping forward and saying, Ruth, I will redeem you. Can you imagine Ruth looking into Boaz's face and saying, no, I don't need you. I don't need you, Boaz. I don't want you. I'm going to do this on my own. It would make no sense to look in the face of the only one who has the right, the resources, and the resolve to redeem you and say no. And so every single person faces this question. Will you reject this redeemer or will you receive him? And there's an invitation for this this morning for you to, for you to receive him as your redeemer if you haven't done before. We would love to pray with you if you want to do that this morning. And if we have said yes to Jesus and asked him to redeem us, then this is now who we are. This is our identity. We are redeemed. We're purchased. We're restored. We're forgiven. We're no longer damaged goods, no matter what we've done. We've been redeemed from an unclean past and an uncertain future. And we can stand now completely clean and completely secure, knowing that Jesus is our redeemer and we have been redeemed and forgiven. This is who we are. Just turn to your neighbor, just say, you're redeemed and forgiven. No matter what our circumstances are, no matter how we're feeling today, we know who we belong to. And just as Ruth was redeemed by Boaz, we are redeemed by Jesus. Can I invite the bands up across the sites as we pray together this morning? Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.